0: Welcome to another episode of the Holmes Movies Podcast. My name is Anders Holmes and joining me across the table, not over Zoom or Skype, is my older brother Adam. Hi! How are you? Oh, I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm good. So, uh, we're continuing on with our uh, Top 10 of the Decades episodes. Top 10 of the various decades. Yes. So, last episode was the 90s and now where we've gone back 10 years to the 80s yes from the decade of your birth to the decade of my birth um the 1980s i think this is going to be a very interesting um very interesting episode for us because i'm I think there could be either a lot of overlap or almost no overlap, depending on what direction you've gone in. I (laughs) mean, the 80s. Quite a bit of overlap in the last episode. Yeah, the 80s uh, as a decade in terms of film is interesting because it's the first kind of post Star Wars decade. I think the the 80s cinema starts to really set patterns that we see in our own time. And certainly uh, the creation of. of methods and storytelling uh, tropes that really inform the 90s. But the 80s also has, like, a particular sound and look, you know, even outside of cinema, that I feel like is reflected in its movies. I mean, you look at the various films that Howard Hughes... Wait, John Hughes didn't. Howard Hughes, not Howard Hughes. <laughs> I think he was dead at the point. Dead, yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, the, the Brat Pack. Yeah. Um, John Hughes, yeah. John, John Hughes was was and really the Brat Popular. Pack. So, and, and, and then there's the various kind of teen stuff, like Back to the Future. Ferris Bueller. Oh, Ferris well, Bueller, yeah. Oh, yeah, and yeah. It, but, but but you've also then got... Risky the, Business the, sort of, with Tom Cruise. You've got the kind of um, proliferation of the the post-Star Wars kind of blockbuster universe as well, which often intersects with the teenage world. So that's why Black, back, 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 to the, Black, Black, <laughs> back to the Future... Back to the Future... as a family guy reference. Um, back to the Future shows that um, the meeting of the kind of blockbuster sensibility with this sort yeah. of youth and... Pop culture-led kind of storytelling, uh, storytelling. storytelling, 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 The Mafia. Um, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you I mean. I feel like at the end of the seventies, I feel like there was a lot more sort of control by the studios in regards to how movies were made. And I think with the success of films like Jaws and Star Wars, there was like, oh, we're gonna make, we're gonna just make blockbusters. But I feel like there were a lot of big blockbusters that were made in this time in the eighties that. I think were were big spectacles and really kind of, you know, there were a lot of like, you know, there was a lot of forward momentum in regards to visual effects and special effects, like stuff that's been improved heavily on over the last, you know, few years. But I feel like where I feel... Because today there's a lot of blockbuster filmmaking. There's a lot of blockbuster IT filmmaking. There's a bit too much of it, but I feel like where these when i look at like films and that were made in the 80s and i look at like some of the movies that i made now there was a lot more heart and soul in the films that were made in the 80s oh for sure there was a lot of really great um lesser um you know um uh, independent kind of people cropping up you know how more of our yeah yeah 80s and um but a lot of people kind of came into their own in, own in the 80s like like Oliver Stone, he kind of yeah. had a bit of a big career as well. And, you know, we, there were new stars like Bruce Willis, Arnold yeah. Schwarzenegger, Stallone. Yeah. yeah. He became, I mean, Stallone had, like, of course, Rocky beforehand, but then, you know, there was Rambo and all the other Rocky sequels and things like that. So, big year, big decade for like action cinema and sci fi. There was a lot of sci fi. I feel like that. Yeah. it's the, It really is the post Star Wars era. But let's. And, um, oh. of course, more importantly for my sort of, you know, likes and. You know, my sort of, you know, what I've... Your like, proclivities, my, yes. but, Yeah. Body horror. There was a lot of, like, horror was, like, big yeah. in the 80s. And yeah. I feel like the rock stars of the horror genre were special effects and makeup artists and things like that. You know, you got your Rick Baker and you got your Rob Botines and, you know, Steve Johnson's and everything. Everyone who, like, you know, all, the, all your favorite, like, special effects artists, they worked on, like, all the movies in the 80s, like Evil Dead and things like that. Right. I mean, I feel like yeah, horror definitely takes on a new... I mean, from what little I understand of the genre. Um, there was a lot of slash. I mean, when I think about American Werewolf, for example, it's like... Big, big thing. You know, these things kind yeah. of... Yeah. Uh, ...are representative. Anyway, should we get into the list? Let's get into the list. You, I started last time, so you start this time. You go first. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, at number 10, I have uh, the only uh, Harrison Ford Oscar nomination, uh, Witness. Uh Witness yes. to Fitness. Uh, it is... his uh, only Oscar nomination. Yes. That's what I just said. Yeah, I know, but I was just thinking it because I was just like, yeah. They only nominated me once. Um, for Witness, directed by Peter Weir. It's about an Amish boy who witnesses a murder. And then he gets help from a policeman, played by Harrison Ford, who then finds the killer, who then has to go on the run with the Amish. So it's like Dances with Wolves, but with the Amish. And it's got um, it's got the Gruber guy from Die Hard. Not the Gruber guy, the other guy. Um, what's his name? Uh Russian. Oh, he, but, but, uh, but. I'll, look, I'll look him up he actually he was in a few 80s films he was also yeah. he was in the money pit he's, he's dead now yeah he died of cancer I think oh shit and I, Viggo Mortensen's briefly in Viggo the film. Mortensen is briefly in the film it hit Alexandra Gudunov enough yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I just yeah, looked yeah. it up Danny Glover is in the film yeah, um, yeah it's a really good thriller um, it's also a really beautiful little uh, love story Kelly McGillis and Harrison Ford's romance in mm-hmm. this film is so believable so Poignant and so lovely um, and it's really the beating heart of the whole thing um, and um, don't know what about his story. yes very good um, also love the guy who plays our dad yeah he's great um, really reminds me of our grandfather for some reason anyway um, it's just a it's just a terrific film it's really well shot um, great music um, and the thriller bits of it are genuinely yeah um, exciting and interesting um, and and um, it has one of the great Harrison Ford yelled like, "I know you, asshole!" <laughs> um, know and also, it are. featured in our shootout because yeah, 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 uh, the shootout uh, when he's yeah, in the elevator, when he's waiting for the elevator, and then yeah. Danny Glover shows up and starts shooting at him, and then there's the old couple who show up in the elevator, and he has to push them back in and everything. And then she's like, "That's our car." <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, there's, there's a lot of like, there's a there's a lot of really genuinely quite funny bits in this film as well. So it's kind of it's got a bit of everything. I don't want to give too much away because. I want people to watch it. I think it's very widely available and um it is a perfect Harrison Ford yeah picture. Like there's no one else who could have played I love that the hero is called John Book. John Book. Yeah. Book is the last name. John Book. Um and yeah, no one else could have played John Book other than Harrison Ford. Yeah. Like you couldn't have had you just it's just it's 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 made for him, and the film's tone is made for him. It's mm. like that slightly insouciant, but still kind of serious-minded. Um, it's, it's a it's a role that's very catered to him. Yes, that's sort of what. I yeah, was but saying. I, I I do yeah. agree with. Anyway, that. so witness number ten. What's your number? 10? Yeah, but just briefly on witness. Why I, do you I, do I, this every time? Because I try and move <laughs> us on. Good, like keep it tight, people, no, no, and you're no, no. like, Well, oh, you have you ever noticed? No, but I feel no. I remember like in from film school that witness. Is one of those movies that they do teach in film school because it is one of those movies that has a perfect screenplay. There you go. So yeah. What's so, your number ten? My number ten is the John Landis comedy classic, The Blues Brothers. Not on my list. Is not on your list? No, I don't really know. Well, anyway, something happened there. <laughs> Blues Brothers, great film. Yeah. It's a, great, <laughs> it's a really, really good film. It's a great film. It's a great crowd pleaser. I hate Illinois Nazis. It's I hate Illinois. Well, we, I hate Nazis in general. <laughs> yeah. Don't um, fucking Nazi party. Um, it is a very funny film. and also, It's hilarious. It's so funny. I think it's one of those like films that originated from an SNL sketch that actually works and is funny and doesn't feel like... It's like, also one of the great films about being in a band, I think. Yeah. Or like, like, you know about be you know the struggling artist trying to like you know get through and you know trying to sort of beat the man and capitalism and things like that. I don't know maybe.
1: No, really no, no, absolutely,
0: absolutely has that in it, and it's a great film about. It's a great. It's a love letter to Chicago. It's a love letter the to. It's a love letter to blues to black, black Chicago. Black yeah, Chicago. exactly, and it's like, and yeah, of course, but two white guys doing it, but still, um, yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful movie full of some of the best dumb gags. Yeah. like the, the subway the, the elevator train things going by mm-hmm. every second the the whole thing with Carrie Fisher and her increasingly advanced yeah, yeah, arsenal yeah. of weaponry um, but great cameos as well from Aretha yeah. Franklin Bray Charles James Brown Cab Calloway as well is, yeah. you know he's, he's, he sings it's uh, so special yeah, to have yeah. Cab Calloway in this film Cab Calloway was in movies in the fucking 30s yeah that was amazing, and also just Mini the moves so that whole. There's some great music sequences in this movie. Oh like, my goodness, it's yeah. so good! And it gets, Don't forget it, it, John it, Candy, it, by the way. Yeah, John Candy as well. It just makes you want to like get up and dance, and just it, 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 it. It's one of those films where you just kind of want to be in the world of the film. And it's one of those things when you rewatch it, you you look forward to every scene. Like when they yeah. show up at the restaurant in Mister Fabulous, you know. That in a few minutes you're gonna get one of the great food scenes, which actually weirdly enough, we didn't we put, did put in it in a, our food yeah, yeah, yeah. sequence. But um How much for the women? Yes, exactly. <laughs> <The little girl. laughs> so um yeah, I know a really a great the food choice. is so exp- the food is you can't afford it. The fucking salad is like twelve dollars for Christ's sakes. Yeah, the, I I love Mr. Fabulous. I also um I just I just love the cameos in this um uh, even like Twiggy and you know it's just it's and Spielberg isn't this movie yeah you know, it like, yeah it's very uh it's, it's, it's also got its heart in the right place mm. it is one of the I think it's one of John Lannis' best directed films in my opinion probably yeah I would I th- say it's I think maybe his best yeah yeah I think and then he followed I think the, the year after this he then did American Werewolf in London also a terrific film yeah. but this is I think this is better this was like the peak of his career anyway that's a great 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 choice um my number nine is Vim Vendors' Wings of Desire. Not on my list. Ha-ha! Great. Well, we're not doing any overlap so far. Uh, Wings of Desire, you see, I I vacillated a little bit about putting this on because it's not... I don't actually think it's as good as a lot of other people think it is, but I do think it's... And that's only because other people think it's, like, perfect. And I think it has imperfections, but it's also it's just po- a, it's poetically beautiful in a uh, lot yes of ways. yes that's a very that's that's yes that's one way of putting it, it, it you know it, it, it absolutely is um i just i also could watch bruno gans in anything um and his performance in, in, in wings of desire is is one An american of a, friend yes of course um the american friend is a film that i prefer ultimately but i mean we're talking about two incredibly good pictures mm-hmm. um Wings of Desire, of course, for those of you who don't know, is about an angel played by Bruno Gantz who falls in love with a mortal Mm -hmm. a circus performer, in fact. And he, um, he crosses over uh, from the world of the immortal uh, to um, the uh, world of the, the, the real. And it's, a great portrait of Berlin. In fact, the German title of the film, Der Himmel über Berlin, the sky mm. over Berlin, I think tells a better story than Wings of Desire, which is actually just Wings sounds like Des- a fucking porn movie. It when sa- Wings of it, yeah. Desire sounds like a really like cheesy 80s pop song. Yeah, or, or, or it could be like a Paul McCartney album. Be yeah. Honest. Or like um, something that, like... Uh, oh, Split my wings, I desire you, Linda. Um, that's who, terrible. Who's, who's the guy that did the... Take, yeah, sued for that. Take broken wings. Who's the guy that... I don't that know, but that's just... Sh- ah, dad. I forgot. Yeah. The, uh, Another thing about the 80s. Power Ballads. Anyway, um, Power Ballads aside, Wings of Desire is terrific. Great. Um, Peter Falk is Peter great. Pal- Peter, himself, <laughs> Peter Falk playing himself. Peter Falk? Peter playing himself. And if it's not too much of a spoiler, he's also playing someone who has experience of the mm. angelic. Um, and... Um, I just love that. I love the the way that um, interior monologue works in this film. I love the shifts between colour and black and white cinematography. I did like that. Which, of course, evokes one of my favourite films of all time, um, A Matter of Life and Death, Powell mm-hmm. and Pressburger. So um, there's a hell of a lot going on. Very, very film literate, but also... Got Nick Cave in, in it as well, performing music, which is awesome. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, it's, got, it's got everything. It's a very cool film. Yeah, um, a lot of inner monologues, and uh, that's what I was people talking about stuff. I love that people yeah, yeah. talking about stuff. You know, yeah. brilliant analysis. It's also from 1987, which is the year I was born. So there mm. you go. Um, and if and, and if anyone has been listening to Adam describe the film and feel like hmm, that film sounds very familiar to something I might have seen. Yes, you might be feeling that because it was remade in the 90s called City of Angels and it has Nicolas Cage and Meg Ryan. That makes me want to be sick in my fucking face. <laughs> Can you see me? And, <laughs> and, <you>. and <laughs> I don't even want to... I, I just... I can't even tell you how much that... Dis, that's just so disillusioning. <laughs> Wings of Desire is a lovely film. Yeah, it is. Um, people should watch it if you have a City of Angels, anyone? not so much. No, please, please. Number eight. Number eight, number, number nine, Number yeah. nine. My number nine is uh, Amadeus. Whoa. Okay, so we have some overlap, but I will say my Amadeus entry is significantly yes. higher on the there. list. Um, All I right. think I think when I was in when I was in England during the Callum, my friend Callum Burns' film Hi, um, Battle Over Britain, on the sort of journey back from filming, um, filming some scenes, I th- you know the the whole like because we were talking about films and then someone asked me like what is your example what What do you feel is a perfect film and then I said well someone in the back of the van said fight in the back of the van someone <laughs> said fight club he thinks that one of the actors thought that, wrong. that's a perfect film And well, an actor what does he know <laughs> uh, and I said <laughs> Amadeus I said Amadeus is so a so you think Amadeus film. is a perfect film I think it's a perfect yeah, film and so then you put it at number nine so yeah. you think so? I'm going to then question every single other <laughs> You'd be like is that a perfect film alright yes I agree Amadeus is a perfect it's film a perfect which perfect is why film. I've got it higher on my list this was a very hard list to put because there are a lot of films in the 80s that I really enjoyed. Okay, but it's, you know, lists of bullshit. So defend yourself. Yes. I think, I mean, it's a fantastic film with great performances from F. Murray Abraham and Tom Holtz. F. Murray Abraham is fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Tom Holtz, great. There are lots of other good people in this film, but those two really anchor it. They really like, yeah, they anchor it very well. And I think F. Murray Abraham's performance is just spellbinding. And I think just just all the sort of varying emotions that he goes through i think he just plays that so well especially in a lot of the scenes when he's in the asylum and he's talking about you know the music and stuff but it's just the kind of that little twinkle and sadness that he has in his eyes i think that's just really nice and it's yeah. all, it's a very you know amadeus is a very tragic story in in so many ways it's tragic for you know Mozart because he dies but it's also tragic for salieri because you know there's you know, in the beginning of the he's film. He's damned. He's damned because it's like he's playing his music and then the priest who comes to sort of, you know, sit with him for hours while, you know, it seems like two days goes over listening yeah, to this. Patient that's a <laughs> no patient priest. It's a very patient No wonder that one of the last shots in the film is the priest just looking completely haggard. It's like, <laughs> what the fuck have I just been listening to? Yeah. But I just think like... Uh... It's just, it's a real just like, yeah, movie. I don't know. Just the it cinematography a, is yeah. amazing. The production design, you could feel yeah. the locations, the coals. Well, this is the thing that I was going to say. Like yeah. the location, it does a thing which normally really irritates me where it takes, it says, well, this is set in one city and it films it in another. Like a really good example of when this doesn't work is in uh, some of the Danish war films that are made recently that were filmed in either. Yeah, they were filmed in, like in East Poland yeah, or yeah, yeah. Germany or, or Russia or something. Whereas in this film, Prague actually doubles very well for Vienna. Mm. Um, and, um, and, and as speaking as someone who's spent time in Vienna, like I certainly feel this as a sort of Viennese piece, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it just it just does brilliantly with the evoking the music and, and making you excited about the music. But why don't we park it here and then come yeah. back to when we get higher on the list? Because uh, I do want to talk a bit more about but I, I Amadeus. Think, but just to sort of... I, I do commend you want F. F. Mary. Mar- 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 speaking of Peter Falk, there's always <laughs> one more thing with you. But like, uh, the, I have to commend F. Mar- Abraham because he was filming two films at this time he was filming Amadeus and he was also filming Scarface and imagine having to go from two different films flying from Miami to Prague and all that sort of stuff and how you like switch between two different yeah. films and characters I think that is quite fantastic yeah I was ashamed they couldn't find room for Al Pacino in this film anyway um... Mozart <laughs> yeah well <laughs> he could have been Mozart yeah. um, no nah, probably not oh, yeah. no. I think Tom Holt sold it pretty well Tom especially with his, is... like, yeah, the... especially with his laugh <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, the laugh is great Uh, The whole, yeah, that's a, it's a, as you say, it's a perfect film. Okay. Play Pitty Griffin. (laughs) And brilliantly lampooned, yes, in an episode of Family Guy. Uh, Number eight for me is The Empire Strikes Back. Uh, One of the... I have this on my list, but higher. Oh, well, there we go. Okay. So this is, uh, here's some overlap happening. Um, Empire Strikes Back is perhaps one of the greatest sequels of all time. You know, up there with Godfather 2 and Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom only oh, joking uh, and um, number, looking number at one on my list <laughs> I was looking at you very questionably when you said um, that I like Temple of Doom but it's not as good as, it's not a great <laughs> scene um, uh, yeah so um, Kalima the just leave it out um, the Empire Strikes Back is the best Star Wars film and if you yes. have a different opinion to that you're wrong <laughs> um, it is a film where George Lucas realised that he's not a good director and he let Irvin Kershner is yeah. a good director direct the film that needed to be gotten right. Yes. Because it's the dark entry in the trilogy. It's the one before the Teddy. It's the challenging movie. It's the challenging movie. It also has Hoth. It has yoda it has i am your father sorry spoilers uh it has um the the uh, torn yeah you know, it's got it's got leia it's got yeah, the whole i love yeah. you i know it's got every it's so it's, it's it takes just, things it takes things uh, further. It further it develops yeah, on the, the mytholo- world building yeah, yeah. The mythology and everything and everything, the and everything asteroid yeah. field it's like when you watch the best of star wars now that kind of tour de force <laughs> no pun intended um of um of this new exciting stuff and of like, you know, also of, of thrills and genuine kind of like scares and 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 a sense of that 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 everything might be snuffed out at any given mm. point. One of the reasons why Ryan Johnson's film, The Last Jedi, is so good is because it feels like the Empire Strikes yeah, Back. It feels yeah, like it gets what makes the Empire Strikes Back good. I really love it. I I, I have um, also it's it's I have a lot of opinions yeah. about Star Wars, but I cannot say I I am totally devoid of irony when I talk about the Empire Strikes Back because I just think it is a you know talk about a perfect film. It is a perfect Star Wars film. Yeah, it is. Just 100 percent agree. Let's get let's come back to that when we reach it on your list. What's yeah. at your number eight? So number eight is a film I think we have talked about on a bunch of. Uh, you know we do talk about a lot of the same stuff yeah Yeah. but uh, my my number 8 is Do the Right Thing that's also on my list (laughs) (laughs) this could be quite a short episode yeah maybe well you did the right thing putting this on your list yes Um, I, I, I just I couldn't talk about the 80s without you know talking about Do the Right Thing which is one of the most important films of the decade, but also of all time, it's an amazing film. It's it a is powerful... the best Spike Lee joint. Yes, let's be honest. it is. It's one of his best. I think. No, it is the best. It's the best. It's the best. But I mean, of course, there are other great films that he did. No, yes. none of them and the... terrible films, of course. But, I mean, um, you know, everyone, and everyone, just films has that their... are like like uh, The Five Bloods, which is great in some places and in others, it's like, what's going on. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, Do the Right Thing is flawless. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not uh, gonna I'm not gonna complain about this one. Yeah, as ever, days. I really just I, rem- I remember the first time I watched it I mean I was just completely in awe of the filmmaking and the energy just like and also the the way that he directs scenes and like you know the characters and the way they bounce off each other is amazing but also you feel the heat you feel that time is passing you can feel the tension in the air and you feel hot I, I mean I feel hot watching that film a lot it's just. And it, you know, just it's not you know. I think it, it, Danny Aiello, who plays the you know Sal, is a great character, and of course he was Oscar nominated for the film, and he was fantastic. And also John Turturro. Everyone is Everyone in Everyone is great. Film. Yeah. Everyone. Yeah. What's his name? Fring from Breaking Bad. Um, yeah. Good. Giancarlo Esposito. Esposito. You've got Spike Lee himself is in this film. Um, Samuel Jackson. Samuel Jackson is in the film. Ozzie Davis and Ruby Dee are in this film. Yeah. Like it is as they say stacked uh in terms of its cast and it is also just i mean a complete delight it's, yeah. it, what is interesting about it is it's clearly building to something from the very beginning something is going to happen in the story something and really yeah. something, something is going to come to a crisis and also again like we spoke about Rodney King last time like this is a film that predates the Rodney King stuff it obviously predates George Floyd and it has a very I mean I watched it for the first time after the George Floyd I, murder I did the same thing very, as well yeah it mm. is very um, striking uh, it was but, um, especially when Giancarlo Esposito's character is saying they can't kill us all while he's being dragged away by police I think especially after yeah, watch, yeah. watching it after what happened to George Floyd was just yeah. it just shows how long this stuff has been going on and how little attention has been paid to it yet spike lee sort of forced us all to watch of course he was then roundly uh put in his place by the racist white establishment when his film was ignored by the oscars and driving this daisy was uh preferred um credit to kim bassinger for calling that out at the ceremony Mm. um we talked also, about that a but, lot at the. Yeah. Al- we talked about this a lot at the and uh, the uh, alternative, alternative. But also, episode. he did stick to his guns a lot while making this film. They wanted him to make changes. They wanted him to have, you know, Sal and his character uh, Mookie like hugging at the end of the film and stuff right. like that. Like just kind of giving it a kind please, of like, please tell us everything is okay. And yeah, it's like oh, gone away. Yeah. it's good thing we're not like that anymore. Sorry, that I burnt your pizza restaurant down. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. It, it, that's you know, and he he was like. No, we're not going to do that. I mean, that's what like, you know, I mean, you I mean pizza, John, John. yeah, me too. I mean, John Singleton did the same thing with Boys in the Hood. He really stuck to his guns a lot about how this it has to be like this. And especially, yeah. that's the same thing as well. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll come back to it because I talked about it as well. But I would just say one final thing about it is that I love that it builds to a, as it says, as I was saying, it builds towards this climax, but the film is also just a character study of yeah. a, of a street, of a neighborhood, mm. of a culture. So, yeah. It's also funny in places as well. Oh, I mean, it's very funny. Yeah. And it's sexy and it's cool and exciting and, and dynamic. And yeah. yeah, it is way better than you have any reason to expect it to be. And, and it is one of the great, uh, I think the one of the great American films of all time. Like a yeah. very important text. As of say. the 20th century. Yeah, yes. text films are text. But you know what I mean. A very important film. Number seven for me is Danish film uh, Babette's Feast also from the great uh, the great year of 1987 when I uh, arrived and when uh, I was born and it's uh, directed by Gabriel Axel um, stars um, a very scandalous uh, Stephen Oudrin as um, as Babette and um, I've talked about it on the food scenes I've a lot of regular listeners will know that this is one of my favorite films and and it is just a a stunning evocation of a of a short um novella really by Karen Blixen um that originally takes place in Norway but for the purposes of this film is relocated to Denmark um is there a reason why they did that I f- I don't know but it doesn't it doesn't doesn't affect the really okay. I mean it's the same kind of community you know we're talking about a deeply deeply protestant very conservative community that is shaken to its core by the decadence of a feast that is prepared in gratitude by this, uh, it turns out, quite amazing French woman. Um, and the feast itself brings together the past of characters who have, for various reasons, made choices in their lives that have caused some unhappiness and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the final scene in the film, is so beautiful that I just, I, I defy people to watch this and not become not necessarily moved to tears but just incredibly moved by what it shows that a just a simple meal well not a simple meal but a very yeah wonderful meal can do um and also how food can be treated on film which which in this in this case is 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 with great uh succulence. um and um and I just love Stefan Aldan's performance in this. Um so you know, without without going too much more into it, I really think go and watch uh people should go and watch Babette's Feast and um it it also won uh, the best uh foreign. One of uh, one of three Danish yeah. films. It so, too, yeah, win so, that. Oscar. Um, you know, even that's a stupid award. Um it did uh it did, well, it's not as it bad well. as the one the BAFTA won. It's like best film not in the English, English language. language, yeah, yeah. exactly best film that only 3 of us have seen. Um right. So what's your number 7? Mine is one of the coolest films that you've ever introduced to me and that is Diva. which is also higher on my list. So can we can we get can we talk about Diva at the end? Sure. Diva's really cool, but we're going to come back to it at the okay, end. Okay, of course. Right. My number 6 is Do the Right Thing, which we've just <laughs> talked about. So what's your number 6, Anders? Uh The Princess Bride. Oh, you know what? I'm really fucking glad you put this on the list cuz it just couldn't yeah, on mine and uh, <laughs> The Princess Bride. Okay, so this is a film that you also introduced to me and I absolutely love it. I think Shout out to my friend Ed Randall for introducing yes. it to me. I do remember when I, um at your wedding, when I was making references to this movie in my speech, in multiple, my multiple best man, multiple times, times. I yeah. could sort of catch Ed sort of like being like, kind of like gave me the thumbs up and the sort of cool. Also, he listener it. to this podcast, my wife's cousin Donnie appreciated it. Uh, appreciated the references in that speech and came up to you afterwards and Yeah, he said he was good like it. Good luck good luck storming the castle. Yeah. Yeah. I mean what the pillow. No I just it is once you start <laughs> quoting this film though, it is just endless. what word you say. I don't think it means what you think it does. <laughs> my name is Nicol Mantoya. You kill my father, prepared to die. Oh. Uh, we're clothes you bastards <laughs> no i love this he film said it- to blame <laughs> to blame oh uh, it is a wonderful film it's- absolute classic feel-good movie and it is just it's a great screenplay from william goldman who of course has written other fantastic movies like all the president's men and oh what else is what else did he do uh bridge too far and um he- that's he- quite the cv yeah he's written a bunch of stuff some not so good films as well, but yeah, I mean, if you've got oh, those three, yeah, yeah. fuck it, you can write your own checks as far as I'm yeah, concerned. Yeah, but like you know, it's based it's, off his I own. Am using her expression correctly? <laughs> um, slightly, you know, appropriate for this part of the. Yeah. the Christopher yeah, so, Guest, Christopher Guest, uh, Carrie Elwes, Carrie This Robin was this, was, this was his big well pen before, right. she, before she was Robin Wright. Pen. Right, Robin Wright. Well, now she's Robin Wright again. Um, well, I mean, who would? I mean, being married to Sean Penn might oh, be a bit that of a hard, hard thing. thing. Just be um, I, I, I imagine even having to serve Sean Penn coffee is like traumatic. <laughs> let alone have to be married to the fucker. Yeah, um, but um, you know, it's a great cast—Mandy Patinkin and, of course, Wallace Shawn. is oh, geez, amazing, geez. and also um, Chris Sarandon as well. Like this film is just packed with great. Humperdinck, comforting humperdinck. <laughs> and, you know, uh, Kyle Kane and Billy Crystal. It's just, you know, it is hilarious. It is just like, and Peter Falk as well, showing up, you know, he's in the film too. Wait, he's, he's the grandfather. He's the... Of course, of course. Shit. And the, he's the kid. kid plays the mole in Austin Powers 3. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Fred Fred Savage, who, uh, yeah, less well, he recently got called out of, because of, Sexual abuse allegations. Oh no! One of those guys. Oh shit! Um. So okay, let's less about him. But no, this is a film that is just pure fun. It's like a fantasy it's romantic fanta- yeah. in a nice way. You know, it's like fantasy, romance, yeah. action. It's got everything. Sword fighting. Yeah, it's a good spoof. It's not like it, it, it's a good spoof of the genre while also kind of taking itself serious as well. Like it's just having fun and. That i recently watched robin hood prince of thieves which is a terrible film and this is such a this shows how well you can approach kind of swords and yeah escapades and that fantasy essentially by just adding the appropriate amount of humor and and but like and good cheesiness yeah, like the soundtrack yeah, yeah, yeah. is by mark knopfler it it's is good. a cheesy sounding soundtrack and it is done earnestly yeah without its tongue in its cheek and that just works and then you have Andre the Diane, you have um, Wallace Shawn, you have just all these screamingly funny mm. people in this film and brilliant lines. But at the end of the day, it's like you can enjoy this it's as a, a comedy romp, yeah. or you can enjoy it as like a great like rescue the princess kind of good old fashioned Ivanhoe style tale. You know, it is. Ah, yeah, I, I'm really good. I to I, I read a book by um, Carrie Elways called As You Wish, which is a diary about. The making of Princess Bride from his oh, perspective. Right. It's a great book for anyone who's a fan of the movie. I really, you know, I, I it, it's really worth checking out. But he has a lot. I saw at the Prince Charleston moment. You did? Yep. Yeah. Oh. I was with Ed. Okay. Nice. Um, but he's a fantastic. It, it was a fantastic like book as well because he has all these like anecdotes about the making of it like you know the first time when robin wright came on stage and she was in the costume as princess uh, buttercup Buttercup, and i was about to call her princess humperdink got them mixed Mm. up but princess buttercup (laughs) (laughs) she came on stage as princess buttercup and everyone was like yeah i'm not gonna have a hard time falling in love with her (laughs) it's gonna be fine and also like on the first day they did the uh rats of an you know the rodents of unusual size rodents of an unusual size scene and William Goldman had to leave after that day because he got so caught up in the filmmaking process. Like when she catches fire, he really was just so caught up in in the whole thing. It just it really kind of like I have to leave. This is too much, kind of thing. I oh. love artists. <laughs> yeah, and um, he had some really fun in, fun stories about um, Andre the Giant, and everyone told just absolute great and respect re- respectable respectful stories about him. He just he just really came across as like a really good person even well, though also, like you, even I though his size yeah, yeah. his character like, and I also think that the um the character that he Fennec Physic 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 that he plays in this is one of the most sort of warm and sweet creations ever brought yeah, yeah. to life on film and it, it's it's so much of it's down to him but there's two there's two stories there's a few stories that are really fun there was like chris sarandon had his daughters or something on set and like he went up to andre the giant and said he's like "Is it okay if you can come over and say hi to my kids and like one of the hi, one of one of chris sarandon's kids got a little bit frightened of his size and chris sarandon was like i'm really really sorry and andre was like i'm used to it you know people are either amazed or they're scared of me it's it's fine and andre the giant was a bit of a drinker and at the hotel, oh, and, and at the hotel they were staying at, he collapsed on the lobby floor, and nobody could move him, and he slept there the whole night. So that story. There should be-, be a monument to that. But <laughs> it's hotel. become like a story for that hotel that they stayed in, and apparently Remember the giant once slept on this. Floor? <laughs> just, just they couldn't move him because imagine he's so- how much you'd have to drink if you were that size to pass yeah, out. But he must he, have had a, like a barrel of vodka. But he did drink a lot because he was in pain a lot just of his size and everything oh, yeah so. i mean he had a tragic life as well just given you know given what he was and wrestling All the more and stuff reason why this is such an important performance yeah. and such a nice monument to him and i think really for so many people certainly for us it's yeah. the, it's the thing he's best known for you know yeah but there's a, there was another thing that apparently like the catering was so bad like they just had nothing like they got bored of like the catering and one of the days they had curry quite a lot so andre the giant exported like imported like food from france like cheeses and stuff like that because he was such a like gourmet i love expert. That. i didn't know that he was that way and i that just makes me love him all the more well this yeah this is a this is a really really like love. like the film when you're reading it you just get a bit of a smile it's like ah oh, this seems like such yeah. a... i imagine carrie is a good writer as well yeah he, he really kind of makes you picture all the elements and the landscapes and stuff I love it. I love it. He did, have a, he did suffer a concussion on the set of that film. Oh, I can imagine. that. There's a lot of like he got near you, know, you, know the hit, you know in the scene when he gets hit on the back of the head by Christopher Guest? Yeah. Um, Christopher Guest actually hit him and knocked him out and he was concussed. Oh, bloody hell. <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds like they must have had a lot of fun doing it. it they It also did. sounds like there was a lot of like near accidents. I mean... Yeah. It was kind of a low budget movie. It was like $20 million. Yeah. Which is a part of its charm. Yeah. Well, I think that's great. Uh, I think that is a fantastic choice. So what are we on now? My number five? Yeah, you're number five. Ran. I ran so far away. No, okay. No. <laughs> Although, Flock of Seagulls, relevant for the yeah. ages. But uh, Ran. Akira Kurosawa's Ran. Classic. Really good film. Is it on your list? No. Oh, there we go. Nearly made the list. But I, yeah. yeah, oh, well, that's great then. So, um, so Akira Kurosawa made a um, big Shakespeare epic. Yeah, we'd done one before. Throne, Throne of, of Blood. Blood. Yeah. With... Uh, uh, Toshiro Mifune, and um, this is a this is a late Kurosawa film. Yes, very late. In fact, he was so late he was going blind while they were making it. So he was they were relying very heavily on his hand painted yeah. uh, storyboards. Um, it is a it's in color, and most people associate Kurosawa with black and white, and rightly so. But this movie. is a an incredibly stunning, colorful film, um, replete movie, yeah. with excellent. Uh, characters and excellent performances and genuine sort of gobsmacking scale of battle scenes yeah. and action and romance and, and, and tragedy. Talk about fucking tragedy. Gee, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it's a reworking of King Lear. Yes. Uh, except that the daughters are played by sons and um, you know, there is, there is succession a... Succession, Japanese version. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, very much so. This is this is a uh, uh, succession um, with swords. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I fucking Could use that just, to pitch a show I, <laughs> it's I like don't, succession um, but with swords. yeah I don't have I don't very often just sort of see a film once and go right that's one of my favourite films of all time now but um, that very much happened with Ran um I mean just yeah it, I definitely it, want to get like the 4K version just to sort of or like oh, the newest just, the newest Blu-ray. In. I want to, to f- go and see this on the big screen. Yeah. I hope somewhere like Film Forum or something in New York does a retrospective because it, I would just I would just want to go and bathe in this film. It is so beautiful. Um so yeah, I mean, his other film that he did beforehand called Cage Cage Mushi is also worth checking out. That's almost like a sort of pre-ran film that was him sort of kind of yeah, you know, figuring out how to do like an epic samurai you know, old Japanese history movie. Yeah, the, the the opening shots of this film with the landscapes and the um, juxtaposition of them with the riders. And, Hunting the pig, yeah. Yeah, is it's just like, wow. It's like what medieval Japan has just been brought to life. Or not mm. It's not really medieval actually, but you know, sort of early, like the, the past yes. is on screen. Like you're watching this and you are not watching a movie. You're, no. You feel like you're in history. history. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so, great when movies do that when they immerse you in the like landscape and the culture. Yeah, absolutely. Um, have you got a number five? I do have a number five. It is David Lynch's movie Blue Velvet, which I have to admit I've never seen. Yes, which is like a terrible oversight. You, you, you really, really. Yeah, should Yeah, I know. I know. I know. Yeah. So, I mean, David Lynch had a very interesting career he started off as an artist and then he branched off into doing short films and then he did a movie called Eraserhead which is a just wow movie <laughs> in many ways and the success of the sort of like art house success of that led to The Elephant Man. Mel Brooks was a producer on The Elephant Man and he saw Eraserhead and thought this guy's good he's going to direct The Elephant Man and The Elephant Man is completely different even though it has those sort of Lynchian elements to but it. But the idea of Mel Brooks thinking the Elephant Man is going to be a comedy. He's like, we got this film about a guy, he looks like an elephant. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine if he did a movie like a comedy version of the Elephant this Man? This guy schnoz, you're not gonna <laughs> believe it, <laughs> right? <laughs> now we want to see that movie now. Yeah. No, no, no. Elephant Man is a fantastic movie, and so like, and then he went and did Dune, which is like the you know, which the original, the first not ever, the Denny Villeneuve. not the Denny, the Timothy Chalamet Dune, yeah, not the, the crazy Dune, not that one. Um, so yeah, that film. Was not a huge success, and um, I read I read his, uh, his sort of his autobiography, which sort of is about his life and his. Uh... Well, of course, his autobiography no, is it, about it, his life. No, but it, it's 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 kind of an autobiography and it's a biography because it's written by him and a journalist. So it's like all the chapters are kind of split between her explaining you what know the fuck he's talking what, about, what he's talking about <laughs> and then him sort of like talking about like that sort of stage of his life or like that film that he made like Twin Peaks or Wild at Heart or something like that, but the sort of the reception that, sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry no, I just <laughs> literally yawned <laughs> the reception of Dune led him to Blue Velvet because I think he, he realised I don't think this is the kind of film that I want to make I want to go back to you know what I, I like so I think like you know it's all that time when filmmakers independent filmmakers they like try big blockbuster movies and they realise okay this isn't for me I'm going to go back to something that I can actually control and have control the, the over Blue Velvet is essentially a Douglas Sirk film directed by like pretty much like yeah. a psychotic Douglas Sirk film it, right? it, it, it starts off with, yeah it, it, it starts off with Bobby Vincent's version of Blue Velvet and you see all these like snippets of like they shot up in Portland Oregon so it has this kind of like you know great America suburbia kind of thing there's a moment yeah, yeah, where yeah, a fire yeah. truck's going by yeah. and there's a guy like waving and stuff like that and then a guy you know, he's out watering the plants, his wife is indoor watching a film noir movie, you know, there's a gun on the big screen, and then he like has a stroke. And then it then the camera goes deeper into the grass, and then we're just, you know, the soundscape, the sound is so good in, Blue, in in David Lynch's films. And you see all these bugs, and it's like, you know, if you look under the surface of the town, there's bugs, there's bugs and crime, and there's bad people. And I think he, he explores that a little bit more in Twin Peaks. And, it's, and, you know, and uh, this was the second film that he did with uh, Kyle MacLachlan. He was also in Dune beforehand. He, he plays the T- Timothy Chalamet character. Yeah. And uh, he plays Jeffrey Beaumont. He's this... I see Blue Velvet as a coming-of-age film. You know, because right. he has this very sort of like happy-go-lucky teenage sort of, you know, has a sort of viewpoint of the way the world is. And then that all changes when he finds a severed ear covered in ants in the woods. And Which then is st- a Dali reference. Yes, it is. on Chandelou. Reference, and then he starts to kind of investigate, you know, the, why, why there was why he found a severed ear, and then he as you would, yeah, he meets Laura Dunn, who's this like Sandra D kind of girl, girl next door with the blonde hair and beautiful and everything, and um, you know, dressed like she's coming, she's like from the 1950s or something like that, and through their sort of, and she's the daughter of the police, the chief of police in, in town. And through their investigations, they get brought into the world of this lounge singer played by Isabella Rossellini, And she's amazing in this movie. Right. And, and there's a scene in the film where Jeffrey Beaumont breaks into her house. She finds him. She throws him into the, into the cupboard. So he's looking through the closet door. And in walks the scariest person to ever grace the movie screens. And that is Frank Booth played by Dennis Hopper. Yeah, I mean, I only I don't know very much about the film, but I know that that performance is one of the ones that just haunts people. Yeah, it is. Like, I mean, I saw this movie when I was in my mid-teens. I had no idea what to expect. I knew that of the people in the film, I just didn't know that it was going to go that dark. And like, it, you know, this film really blew me away of how powerful, and what, how powerful cinema can be and what you can do with it. And it's just a fantastic film. And he was awarded, his, I think, his second Best Director nomination at the Oscars. Uh, Lynch? Yeah. Yeah. So this was like a big comeback performance for uh, yeah i mean it's, it is for, it is for, a, quite for, uh, something for Dennis Hopper. yeah and it well of course but it's also quite something for someone like david lynch to have had a complete turkey in in terms of dune and to come back with not just a comeback but a film that is probably his best or at least one of a his films that has come to define his career alongside yeah. twin peaks i mean so yeah, I mean, it is quite something. I, I must say, I can't wait to see it. Um, I I need, I mean, I'm also slightly scared of it because it obviously has quite a scary reputation. Yeah, but. I mean, there's in the book Room to Dream, there, there's a bit, there's an interview, there was a little bit of an interview with Isabella Rossellini and how she met with Dennis Hopper before they shot the scene. And Dennis Hopper really didn't. He, she was sort of saying he felt very uncomfortable being there, and he didn't want to be there. He seemed very standoffish. But it was also because he felt uncomfortable about doing the scene, yeah, it, the scene with them as well. So you know, it must be tremendously hard for actors to do those kind of things. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, it has a has a reputation for a reason, I guess. But I, yeah, as I say, can't wait to see it. So, are we into the top five? Yeah. So um, I, I've just done my number five so we're at number four I think. Well my number four is Blade Runner by Ridley Scott. Ooh, good which, film. Um, I, yeah, it is a good film. Um, Rick Deckard. Mm-hmm. Harrison Ford, again. Yeah. On the same, uh, here he is. Uh, another quintessential Harrison Ford role. Um, a, also a film that was not successful when it first came out but over the years has since become a huge classic. Right, and I think like P- Blue Velvet probably has a cult following to some degree out of people who read deeply into the film. Of course the film has incredibly significant source material philip k dick's novel is one of is a sci-fi have you read classic it? no but i understand that it's a sci-fi classic that has it's a good lot of significance for people yeah right and um you know you can't watch this and not feel to some degree anyway like it has something to say about not just the 80s but about our own time of course yeah. it's famously it's set in 2019 um uh it it, you know people who don't know it's about replicants which are robots who look like people and some of them go bad and that's when harrison Mm -hmm. ford who's a blade runner has to go and kill them or retire them or whatever and um but it's not it's not just about the, the the plot which is great it's such an exciting plot it's such an exciting story it's such a sad story uh, the style is, of the film is great, that kind But of, that's the thing. Yeah. It's the look and the feel. It's the world of the film. It's the rain. It's the the the, the, the um those long shots. It's the it's Vangelis, the late Vangelist mm. his music, which is just so, so tremendous. Um it's that brilliant blend of noir and sci-fi that has become so ubiquitous and yet i feel like it was kind of invented here yeah um and it also throws of course back to um uh, fritz lang and metropolis mm-hmm. you know and 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 so you know all it's all there in blade runner it's all so it's such a rich film it's such it a uh profoundly thorough experience you know watching like you you are just you are just in total immersion. You know, you are mm-hmm. thrust into this film. There is not, it doesn't give you a chance to step out of it at any point. Um, and it is so 80s. That's the yeah. other thing I love about it is whatever you want to say about any of these films, Some sometimes you just have to take a step back. And I think of all the ones on this list, this is the one that is the most like 80s with a capital T. Yeah. Um, and um, Have you ever seen the original cut with Harrison Ford's narration? I have interesting film yeah yeah i mean i love that there are a lot multiple versions of this um and i don't hate that version either like I, I i i've got to say like i think the fact that harrison ford didn't like doing the narration and sort of recorded it in this very kind of tired and slightly impatient voice yeah really actually lends something to it so uh, just like whatever iteration you see blade runner in it's a delight and wow. then we were blessed with a really quite good sequel in uh right, yeah 2019. 2019, yeah, like, yeah. Exactly. Which Which also, I mean, was hit with critics, but didn't really quite make a dent in the box office. It's just these kind of films are never going to become those kind of universes. I mean, you compare it to something like Dune, which is like you know, world and quest and optimism and excitement and Blade Runner is all about like crushing dreams and tears in rain. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's a great moment. That Rucker Hauer monologue at the end is amazing. And um, it was funny. There's on the on the behind the scenes documentary about it. It's, it's written by um, one of the co-writers on it is David Webb Peoples, who wrote the screenplay for Unforgiven. Oh, interesting. And um, he had like he had written a longer monologue for um, Rutger. for Rutger Hauer's character, and during like a read through, Rutger Hauer basically cut it down to what it is in the film. And you know, David Webb Peoples was like looking at him, and then after he you know finished his monologue Rutger Howard just looked up and gave him that kind of like <laughs> cheeky wink at him and stuff Hauer how, how, how is amazing yeah um, and um yeah in, a, in an already very good cast um it, he's, he really stands out yeah um okay what's your number four uh my number four is the Empire Strikes Back which we just talked about which we just talked about um alright well, well should we go to my number three what's your number three um Uh, With Neil and I. Oh, I fucking forgot about that movie. Jesus Christ. Also from 1987. Great film. Yeah, great movie. Also a quotable film. Um, Extremely quotable. (laughs) um, A film uh, from the 80s that is about the 60s, but also about the 80s and about British society, the class system, and all sorts of other um, things. Um, It's fun and sad in equal measure. It is beautifully written by... um, Bruce Robinson. Bruce Robinson and fantastically well acted by um, <clears throat> uh, Paul McGann, Richard Griffiths and um, Richard, Richard e. Grant. e. Grant. Richard E. Grant, I think rightly Steals. sees this, <laughs> also sees this as his quintessential performance. And, yeah. and, and he um, he delighted us all during the pandemic by reading out lines from Withnell every day. Um, but why did he do that? Because the film is incredibly quotable. Why mm. did the film become a cult hit? In part because it is so quotable also because it's incredibly well done. Like, yeah. I compare it to The Big Lebowski in that it's great, it a film filmmaking. kind of without a conventional plot. It's really more of a character study about a certain kinds of men in a certain kind of time in a certain kind of place. The way it uses music reminds me of The Big Lebowski. The way it yeah. uses kind of absurdist language, like no one speaks like this in no. real life, but they do in this film, and it makes sense within the world of the film. Um, Makes sense for the, you know, for the way the characters are presented. Yeah. And it, you know, but I think the main genius of Withnil is how a film this funny can just be so unutterably sad. And not just, it's not just a funny film that becomes sad. It's a film that begins in a sad place. It begins with... uh, the uh, King Curtis recording of um, Wider Shade, Shade, Shade of Pale which is one of the last recordings that he ever made before he was shot in fact it might have been the same night that he was killed so there's already this like sense of of um, doom in the film times are changing exactly. And... Exactly. times are changing it's squalid it's miserable but then there's this great laughter within the squalid not from the characters but the characters make us laugh Yeah, the characters are having a horrible time for most of the film <laughs> um, but they're making us laugh all the way uh, yeah. because um because sometimes bleakness is funny but also absurdity is funny but then you are left at the end with this stunning monologue by um richard e grant where he quotes hamlet and you realize that what you've just been witness to is you know a great sad tale where no one really comes out Mm -hmm. well um or not well exactly but comes out with anything to sort of believe in. And yeah, so yeah, yeah. um so yeah, it's 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 a great British film in that way that it, it, it totally and unflinchingly depicts uh kind of decay mm. and um ennui while also you know, giving the audience something to chuckle at. Um and and as I say, lines to quote endlessly yeah. for the rest of time. So, with Nell and I, one of my very favourite films. What's your number three? My number three is what I believe to be a masterpiece of horror cinema and i do think it's john carpenter's best film and it is john carpenter's the thing great movie great fantastic film great pandemic film (laughs) oh yes (laughs) great cold film as well every time i watch this movie i just feel so cold it was on our snow films list wasn't it uh yeah it was yeah. yeah and um i mean what what is there to say about this film i think it is where i think john carpenter is just really just Having, you know, worked on such low-budget films beforehand, like Halloween and The Fog, and also Escape from New York, you can really t- feel that he's just, okay, I'm going to flex my directing muscles and direct the hell out of this. And I've got Rob Bottin, who was very young at the time, and an apprentice of Rick Baker. He does these amazing special effects. The special effects, practical effects. The practical effects, in this, the practical right. effects in this are amazing. And, you know... <laughs> We just said that at the same time <laughs> in the same way. I just feel like... you know. It, but these days, I feel like a lot of people kind of rely a little bit on computer effects. And I feel like in horror films, when you can really feel the CGI, it kind of takes me a little bit out of it. I feel like when you can use practical effects and do it well. I know it's easier to do it with the computer, but and if you can hide it, it's fine. But I feel like practical effects are amazing. And I think just... Well this is the advert for them. This film yeah, is the advert this movie for why the you album. should do it that way. Yeah, and also like there was a lot of films in the 80s that, you know, a lot of David Cronenberg's had Cronenberg's uh, films had amazing practical effects like effects like The Fly and um Videodrome and you know, it's a, this is a film about paranoia. It's a film about mistrust, you know, you don't know what to do. you it's cl- it's immensely claustrophobic, even though it is in the middle of nowhere. You just feel like there's nowhere these people can go when this alien that can like morph into them and just, you know, it's just completely frightening. And it always oh, every time I watch this movie, I'm always trying to find a point where I feel like, okay, maybe this guy changed at this point, and maybe that and stuff. You're always like looking at the characters yeah. and looking. Well, and at- it gives you so many little. It, there's all these little flags, you know, yeah. and it's like trying to watch. It's trying to watch a shell game. Yeah. You're know, yeah, like, yeah. where is the P? Like, wh- what's, going on? what's going on? Like, what, you know, it, it, and, and there's no answer. And the fact that the film doesn't leave you with an answer yeah. is so amazing that they just leave you at the end being like, well, one of these guys is the alien. Yeah. I do like Keith David's or David Keith. No, it's Keith David's quote where he was like, I don't know about Kurt Russell, but it sure as hell isn't me. <laughs> yeah. No, I love that. Yeah. Um. It always makes me sad that this movie wasn't that successful at the box office. It wasn't. No, it wasn't. It was a huge. Everyone hated this movie critically. It was like, what? people called it like disgusting and trash. I mean, Ebert and Siskel, they hated horror films like, I mean, the, the splatter films like Friday the 13th and like they went after them hard on their show. But like, okay, so this movie came out in 82 and there was another sci fi film, a little bit more easygoing and feel good, and that was E.T. the Extra Terrestrial, which of course isn't, you know, a bleak movie and that was a much bigger hit than the thing was but right. like Blade Runner over time that film had a bit more of a critic reappraisal and then you know it became a cult hit and you know now it's regarded as one of the best horror movies of all time yeah uh, rightly so yeah uh, you know the Ennio Morricone score is great the, the cinematography by Dean Cundy is amazing and I love the way he like there's one scene where kurt russell it's you know he's sitting at a desk and he's like talking into a tape recorder but the door is wide open and you're kind of always kind of looking at the door and you're being a little bit like oh no. it's just the it's way- hitchcock as well yeah, yeah i mean that's the thing he's I a mean, yeah. huge debt to hitchcock in this yeah movie. i mean the way he crafts the suspense is very but he does that as well and yeah. how in he does that with it with halloween as well and the way that he shoots and like those really long takes and the way he captures everything it's, yeah. it's fantastic I mean, work. he's such a he's a great filmmaker john Carpenter yeah also, he's a he's a great grouchy old man filmmaker. He's he's a fantastic every time. Like there was an, there was someone asking him a question at the Q and A, and he was like, "I love Escape from New York, but I don't know what the hell happened with Escape from L.A." And he was like, "Fuck you," <laughs> to the guy. And um, he's he's like he's wonderful. He's like you know every time when they remake one of my films, you know, I hold out my hand, and then someone puts a check there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I really like his whole persona. It's true, and it comes across. I think in his films. Yeah. But um, he was one of those guys, I feel like he, he you know, he, he, you know, owes a lot to Howard Hawks. He, he would have, you know, I mean, the closest he ever got to making, like, a Western was the movie John Carpenter's Vampires. And, you know, imagine what, like, a Western, like, a John Carpenter Western would like. I would been kill like. for a John Carpenter Western. That would be amazing. Um, But, yeah, The Thing, amazing. That's my number three. All right. My number two is Amadeus, which we've kind of talked about at length. I mean, just to finally say, like, I just... I just think Amadeus is such a, a thrill ride but also um I, I think also one of the best evocations of that period and it's hard to do good period films um and brilliant directed scenes yeah, just and it's just yeah. it makes you love that music and the the places and the people for whom it was made mm-hmm. and I think that ultimately What's so good about Amadeus is the presence throughout of Mozart, and I think that that Mozart. Um, that you know that, that, that I think for people who don't perhaps spend very much time with classical music, which is which includes me, like I'm no expert. Like I think the film is a wonderful way of teaching you why music can be special, or why this mm. music, why this person was special, you know. And it's um it's interesting how we're so we have so many musical biopics now, and there were very few of them around at this point. But this kind yeah. of, in many ways, this film actually is one that kind of follows the pattern that's set by later ones. But it's just, it's just so good. Mm-hmm. All right, well, enough of that. What's what's your number two? My number two is Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Oh, you big softy. Yeah, I, I mean, of course, I, I recognize recognize that Raiders of the Lost Ark is a classic film yes it's you know Lawrence Kasdan's script is great It start it, you know that was another great character that Harrison Ford got to play there's a lot of Harrison Ford on this list yeah Predictably, no. I mean, there was always going to be a lot of Harrison Ford yeah I mean he list. had a very he had a pretty successful career in the 80s and of course he's going to be playing you know Indiana Jones again and Indiana Jones and the weirdly titled Dial of the Destiny or Dial right, of Destiny right let's not talk so much about that yeah. yeah but yeah I thought after you know after the sort of like I don't think like Temple of Doom is a bad film. Hmm. I it is a sort of slightly misguided and tiny bit racist tiny bit fucking <laughs> <laughs> <Very laughs> massively mate. yeah But it's like it's a very dark film as well. I mean Raiders of the Lost Ark had its like dark moments as well, but it was also very fun and it was an adventure. This one that one was just a bit Temple of is a mess. It's a bit messy. I get it's a, a good it's also, a fun mess but also, it's a mess. Why is it a prequel? Don't know any. <laughs> but like, okay, so they got back on track with Indiana Jones. Not like, just back on track, but it's the best Indiana Jones movie. Yeah. And I think also like it's an emotionally strong Indiana Jones film. And I think it's bolstered. Because and of Connery. Connery. And Junior. Junior. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> it's you, Junior. I just think that double act that him and Sean Connery so have, good. it's so, so good. You know, when, you know, when people talk about buddy films from the 1980s, I don't know why this film doesn't get brought up. Because it's a proper buddy It's film. one of the great dad and lad films. Yeah, that it scene is. where they're on the zeppelin and they sit down to have that, that. First of all, that's brilliantly written, but it's so well acted that scene. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, immediately it's just a it's just a break between two set pieces, and mm-hmm. and the set pieces are wonderful in this. the the um, The Venice chase as the, well, well. Venice, the Venice boat chase. The the whole tank sequence is like a tour de force. The tank mm-hmm. bit is like that is just pure brilliant action. Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just great. It's just a a, a grand and stately and fan, just excellently done movie with brilliant performances. And they should never have done another one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. They ride off into the fucking sunset. Yeah, <laughs> they've literally drunk from the Holy Grails. So it's like, oh, right, you yeah. can retire now. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, I just, it, there's some great moments of, just their performances are great. I, oh, I, but man, the bit where he says, "I thought I lost you, boy," that gets me every I time. I thought I lost you. Oh boy. my god, yeah. crying buckets every yeah. single time. Just yeah. that scene is great, and I love how he the hat roll the f- rolls in afterwards mm. as well. There's some really beautiful touches in this film, even the whole thing with the knights as well. where he says, "When he's like, he chose, boy," yeah, <laughs> and you know, Denim great El- music. Yeah, Denim Elliott is. Uh, is wonderful in this. I, I thought. Although he- I prefer him in Raiders. Like yeah. I think the version of, um yeah, they don't quite. What's his name? The uh, bro- Brody. Yeah, yeah. the re- version that we get in this film is like he's this sort of buffoon. Uh, is I mean, it works for the film, but I don't know. They, 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 yeah, who cares? Like we, mm. we're getting into I mean, needless it, it, specifics. It's it nice they got like John Rhys Davis back as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, of course, the the problem with Indiana Jones still exists. I mean, there's a lot of orientalism and just, yeah, like. Really out of date stuff in there, yeah. um, but but it's got no. him beating up Nazis. So come not, on, what's not to like? What's not to we like? We hate Illinois Nazis. <laughs> um, right. So my number one is the film that's already come up on this list is Diva. So Diva is, as you rightly say, one of the coolest films ever made. But we, I cut you off early, so why do not you start? And then I'll, yeah, um, carry on. Yeah, I mean, when the first time I watched this movie, I really didn't know what to expect with this film, but I was pleasantly surprised. I was hooked from the word go. It's a great murder mystery it's um, a wonderful romantic movie as well yep. it's bolstered by some really great supporting characters who you want to see spin off into their own film like I could see like, who are the characters like the two like the, the two Gordish the guy in the bath yeah, yeah. G- I would and what's love, her name yeah I would love to see like, a, like in the same way with like you know with Benoit Blanc the Knives Out films I would I would happily see films with those two characters you know go off on adventures and like Yeah well I think that it was based on a series of novels that um, did feature Gordish and um uh god oh, what's her fucking name um Alba mm-hmm. yeah Alba and Gordish. Well, Alba's a great name um sort of going on the you know going off and and doing various things um it is, um, yeah, as you say, it's, it's a really interesting blend of uh, genres because it's a film about a guy who's obsessed with an opera singer. So it's kind of a film about unrequited love and sexual fantasy and the weird crossover between admiring someone as an artist and obsessing over them as an object of desire. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could have done a perfectly good film on its own about uh, stealing a diva's dress and then uh, getting in trouble as a result of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then there's also a, a really tantalizing um, crime plot at the yeah. heart of it. And the way that they weave together the various stories is just so clever. And it's just, let's just be honest, the film is so fucking cool. I mean, this is a beautiful movie. 80s with a capital T. Like, oh my God, the way they use kitsch in this film, the way they use like people wearing like plastic clothes and Coca-Cola bottles and scooters and neon lights and um, just the whole look and feel is so oh, just like lushly and brilliantly 80s. But the way that it uses colours as well yeah, is really very, nice. Yeah, very, very... I mean, I think the colour palette in this film, the way Paris is shot by night mm. or in the morning or at dusk is just um, glorious. Really uh, a special film. Yeah. I mean, I and, and I... I I special is, film! <laughs> it's, oh, no, it's, it's one of my favourites, which yeah. is why I had to be number one, because there are certain films that I think that... I think people listening to this are like, hang on a minute, you've put Diva number one and one of you have put Bloody Raiders at the last Ark number two. So yes, lists are bullshit, but also lists have to reflect the people who make them. And I think that for me, D.Va was a special film and not just uh, cementing for me what I thought was cool in terms of cinema, but what I thought was cool full stop. Yeah, like It feels of a piece with so much of the music I, I've listened to and so many of the books I've read. And it's like, this film is one that I don't want to be in the film, but I would like to walk the streets yeah, of yeah, this yeah, yeah. movie. You know, I want to, and I, I a big reason why I, I love Paris is so much, be- and then this is why it came up on our Paris list. In fact, I think it was number one on our Paris, Paris list, is, you know, the way it uses Might that mean, city yeah. as a location for a modern and 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 um, and kind of awesome story. So, yeah, yeah. No, fantastic fucking movie. Um, yeah, the way it uses the music is beautiful. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah, another one with music at yeah. its heart. Okay, what's your number one? Uh, my number one is Back to the Future. Ah, yes. Very good. Very good. Ah, uh, Well, so- that's another 80s film. Even though it's yeah. largely in the 50s, yeah, intensely yeah, yeah. 80s movie. Yeah. Uh, we had to have that on there. I mean, it, it's just... I mean, it's just one of those movies I can watch again and again. I never get bored. The whole like last sequence when he has to like, you know, with the lightning strike and everything, I'm still on the edge of my seat every time, even though I know that it's going to be okay. Well, you know what's really clever about that? Yeah. Is because the whole film tells you that there are so many multiple different outcomes Mm -hmm. because of the way time works and so it kind of plays a trick on you the, the next time you see it because you're like wait a minute what if this is a, what if something different happens this time because mm-hmm. and, and and the part you know because you're you're in that mode of like the time you're thinking about the timeline and stuff and so yeah the suspense is brilliant when you rewatch it yeah, yeah. and also it's, again a great buddy film you have Christopher Lloyd yes. and Michael J Fox it it would have been you know Christopher Lloyd and Eric Stoltz but then they realized Eric Stoltz wasn't working as Marty McFly so they got in Michael J Fox okay. who was still great decision pretty big on in T te- in the te- in the world of TV because he was doing family ties at the same time while he was filming this. And you know, I have to say hats off to him having to be able to I mean able to do that. I mean it's the same thing with Robert Zemeckis when they were doing Back to the Future Part three, he had to fly back and forth well because he was editing Back to the Future Part two and then going back to set and back to the Future Part three and stuff. It's amazing what people put themselves through. It's amazing that yeah. yeah in the creation of things that are essentially for leisure and pleasure that there is so much stress (laughs) and tight deadlines. But yeah, yeah. it's, I mean, I mean, what is there to say about Back to the Future? It's hard. It's hard with these like behemoths, isn't it? Like with the, I mean, I guess one of the things to say is what we kind of said at the beginning, which is like with Indiana Jones, with Back to the Future, and to some extent with Blade Runner, we are in the post-Star Wars world. Yeah. Um, Well, you look at Blade Runner and The Thing and the fact that they didn't do as well, is a reflection of the post-Star Wars world where people are not going to the cinema anymore to watch films that make them feel something about the human condition and question things. They want to see entertainment. And so these two movies didn't do as well, but ET and Back to the Future did extremely well. You also Even have like this Ghostbusters idea of, and Yeah, Ghostbusters as well. now. I and mean, you have the also the development of franchises. You have the development of a sense of, okay, we've told this story once. What if we tell it again? Exactly the same plot, but yes. just slightly different, like we'll set it in a different place and we'll you know it's um it's such a great statement of what was going on in sort of mainstream hollywood at the time but it's also just a brilliant i don't want to sound too cynical about it because it's brilliantly well done it's a great screenplay from bob gale and robert zemeckis and they have said that in our lifetime this movie will never get remade but it should never be remade this movie is perfect yeah you could not Like, who the hell are you going to get to play Marty and Doc? What Robert Downey Jr. and Tom Holland? No, those guys are not right for those characters. Christopher Lloyd is perfect as Doc Brown. Marty McFly was perfect being played by Michael J. Fox. They are those characters, and they did them so well. I mean, also, Crispin Glover is amazing as well as George McFly. And also... um, Thomas Biff. Thomas F. Wilson is Biff, who who has that great song, Stop Asking Me the Questions. Oh yeah, I've seen that. That's (laughs) wonderful. didn't I send that to you? You sent it to me. It's so funny. I I watched it a few times and it's just it was like It was like, what's the key grip? He lifts the heavy things. What's that? What's that best guy who he helps the key grip? It was like, what's the producer do? I don't know. Stop asking me the questions. Ah, oh, he's amazing at that. It's like every time when he says, "What are you looking at, butthead?" Oh, Biff is one of the great, great creations. Um, uh, like he is just his whole face, his whole yeah. demeanor is—he's so eminently hateable, but also kind of lovable at the yeah, same time. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the thing about this film—it's got such heart. Also, one of the greatest jokes in the history of cinema—it's your cousin Marvin <laughs> Berry. Like, <laughs> come on, that's so funny. Yeah. Oh, it was you know, like ronald reagan the actor who's <laughs> vice president jerry, <laughs> jerry lewis yeah but there are, i mean the physical comedy from christopher lloyd is great like when he's chasing him into the garage and then he's like the bruise the bruise you got on your head and then he turns his back and then it like christopher lloyd just steps out the door and he's like like wide-eyed and everything yeah. no, i just he, think he moves with such hilarious like yeah. he is like a cartoon character come to life which is why he's so good in um roger rabbit yeah but um yeah he, he's he's amazing it's a, and i just i do also love the relationship between the kind of the wizard gandalf and the the young hobbit kind of brought into the Sorry father, father yeah, almost yeah it, of yeah. course but it's that it's the obi-wan and luke thing it's like that is a great there's a reason why that gets done so many times but it works so well in the yeah. film and it, the, the payoff at the end where he he had read the letter yeah. after all it's just it's so sweet what about the rules and space time continuum well I thought what the hell yeah <laughs> but also I mean it, it. I mean it has a very good message about you know that. I mean they say it in the movie if you put your mind to it you can accomplish anything and I think that is a very including real- going back and forcing your parents to have sex <laughs> and <laughs> so also that the you whole can be thing born. about your mother falling in love with you and stuff like that That's oh just like, yeah no, there's a lot of like I mean they really handle what could have been just an impossibly thorny situation yeah. really well and um yeah um and also the johnny the good sequence still oh it's amazing there's just a bonus i mean yeah. it's just like I, I love that you you don't need that in the film no you don't but it, but a it, as i say it leads to one of the great jokes of all time and then you get to listen to chuck Berry song <laughs> yeah um Crazy cameo kept, from huey lewis yeah i'm afraid you guys are too goddamn loud <laughs> why is, did you say because he's, he's got it in a mega <laughs> megaphone and i was trying to replicate right. that mm. um um Back to the Future. Is Back to the Future very, is amazing. Yeah. yeah. The whole I mean, the whole trip. I mean, yeah. It is it's also right. It's from 1985. It's yeah. from the middle of the 80s. It is the most eighties film in the most eighties year. Yeah. And the music is wonderful Peak by Silvestri Yeah. Who has a lot of great scores under his belt. I mean, also, Back to the Future 2 is good, maybe not as good, but they really came. It's a fun trilogy, but yeah. the first film is, is blended. Still a bit. Yeah. yeah, still. You don't the other two aren't gonna get anywhere near a top ten list, but this this is mm. i do think that's a rightful well, what a good list yeah um uh, so my so shall we go through it um, yeah let's go through it my one was uh from 10 to 1 goes witness wings of desire empire strikes back but bets feast do the right thing ran blade runner with nail and i amadeus diva and my one was the blues brothers amadeus do the right thing diva the princess bride blue velvet star wars the empire strikes back the Thing... Star Wars, colon, The Empire Strikes Back. Star Wars, yeah. Uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Back to the Future. By the way, those I don't know if there's 20 films because there's a bit of overlap, but let's say it's like, that's about 15 films that you can have a very lovely time with. All yeah, of it. it's exactly. like you If you sit down with the films on this list, if you watch every single film that we have put on our list today, you will have a very lovely time with it. I can guarantee you that. Yeah. I do feel like D.Va is due for a restoration it, it it i think it has had one it was where well, it certainly was it certainly played again because it was it's uh because the director passed away recently. that's right so there was a sort of retrospective but yeah no i think i think this is the most pleasurable like this is if you sh- if, if i sat down in an airplane and all the films we've just talked about yeah, were yeah. showing i'd be like oh i just hope the plane goes in circles so i can have the chance to watch all of these but if any of these were playing on tv of course i'm going to watch them oh then. god yeah so great list well done yeah well, uh, people can find us in the usual places, can't they? Yeah, well, we will add the link tree link to the episode info and all that sort of stuff. We're still on the Twitter, even though the, it is being run by an absolute maniac, but yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're on... Uh, we haven't done an Instagram yet, whether we should, and... Um uh, we do, well, you know, you should follow us on Letterboxd. Yeah. Letterboxd is fun, If you like films, get Letterboxd. Yeah, I add the Letterboxd links in the episode info so they can follow us there. Excellent. And um, yeah, we're both on Instagram and all that sort of stuff, and we both have our own Twitter handles and things. But yeah, it's all in the episode info. It's all there. So yeah, next episode is going to be Top 10 oh, Films of it's the 1970s. Be very bloody difficult. Oh. Yeah. I'm expecting a lot of overlap in that one. I'm expecting some. <laughs> I'm expecting it'll be similar to this because I yeah. do think that you and I have quite particular uh, tastes. Like, yes. Like, the pro- there's probably going to be a Godfather film or two <laughs> on the list. Yes. There's probably going to be some other of the new Hollywood stuff. But which ones are we going to pick? You know, which ones are we going to not pick and which what are what are some of the other like um non hollywood films that we're going to put on yeah. yeah it's an interesting yeah, decade a lot going on in the 70s so um, do a little bit of homework actually yeah exactly i want to spend some time on it yeah, I have been going through like Letterboxd and going through like taking away like you know that section where it says like watched and not watched. I go to like not watched and seeing what I haven't seen, and then I just sort of like find the ones that are easy to find and then watch list and do that. So wow, Anders, this is really interesting. No, but it's like that's what I'm gonna try yeah, and do for no, this episode because I feel like there's stuff. some seventies. they're just turning off. You know they're doing <laughs> that thing where they like fast forward thirty seconds. <laughs> it's like it's like ten seconds. Oh god, he's still talking about it. Oh no. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Do check out the other episodes where we talked about our favorite films in the nineties, the 2000s and the 2010s yeah so yeah yippee Kaye, motherfucker oh yeah that's not on this li- well, well anyway we yeah. forgot Die Hard yeah, we forgot yeah, Die yeah. Hard shit yeah. All yeah. Right. Di- well. Die Hard every time I was putting this together Die Hard kind of got slowly nudged oh, away. it's yeah. just not as good as the other films yeah sorry Bruce tears in rain yeah bye bye